Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. There was thunder and lightning and a heavy cloud, and the sound of the shofar was so loud, and it grew louder and louder, and there was smoke, and it seemed like the mountain was on fire, and all of the people were trembling. They were trembling, shaking, quaking with fear and awe as this moment of revelation was about to happen. That's how Exodus 19 sets the stage for the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, the covenant, this this moment where the people become connected to this eternal covenant on Sinai, on Mount Sinai. And what really happened and how that moment in time or moment that reverberates through every time since, how that moment is understood and seen and experienced is completely defining of who we are as Jews, of how we practice, of how we express our faith revelation at Sinai. It's such an important part of our narrative that it's echoed in our daily prayer services in Shacharit. The piece of the liturgy that's about the the Shema, the recitation of the Shema, and the blessings before and after the Shema, tell us that we that we must have these two blessings before the Shema and one blessing after the Shema. And the two blessings before the Shema are about the creation, specifically about the creation of light and about revelation. The blessing says that we are recognizing that the people of Israel were chosen in love, not chosen to be the chosen people, but chosen to receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. And that's the blessing that leads us into Shema. We say Shema with the echoing remembrance of revelation. And then after the Shema, we have a blessing of Geulah, of redemption that leads us into the Amidah. But what is this revelation? What was revealed? What was received? What was Moshe doing? What were the people doing? What was God doing and saying? And of course, nobody really knows. And yet there are so many different understandings and interpretations of this profound, profound moment. I remember hearing a couple of times my my teacher, Rabbi Louis Jacobs, Rabbi Louis Jacobs, who is the uh, founder, really, of the Masorti movement in the UK, the equivalent of the conservative movement here in the US. And he used to say this phrase that we talk about, Torah Misinai, or Torah Min Hashemayim, 
the Torah coming from heaven or the Torah coming from Mount Sinai. He says we have to understand the, the terms. What do we mean by Torah? What do we mean by Torah? He said. And then, of course, what do we mean by Shemayim? Or what do we mean by Sinai? What do we mean by heaven? Or what do we mean by, by Mount Sinai? And then he said, but most importantly, what do we mean by mean? By min? What do we mean by that little two-letter Hebrew word min, from, from? What does it mean the Torah comes from Sinai? Or the Torah comes from heaven? What does that mean? Min. <laughs> And of course, Torah, what does Torah mean? Does Torah mean the five books of Moses? Does it just mean the Ten Commandments? Does it mean all of Jewish law? Does it mean just the, just the, the first word of the first of the Ten Commandments? Does it mean the, just the letter Aleph? There's all of these different ideas about what that Torah actually was. I read a shocking article earlier this week. The headline, it's on an online journal called thetorah.com and the headline is when a teacher believes biblical criticism is worse than pornography when a teacher believes biblical criticism is worse than pornography it, the article is basically about a, a very um, serious modern orthodox student who liked reading different theories about about how the torah came into being and was was on a on a retreat a shabbaton a shabbat retreat with his school and was reading a book called Who Wrote the Bible? And one of his teachers found it and in front of his all of his classmates held up the book and said and said, I would rather you were looking at pornography than reading this filth and shamed this kid publicly. And because this book dares to question the authorship of Torah he said, you'd be better off reading pornography. It's very shocking. It's very shocking that some parts of the community can be so defensive about a traditional idea of Torah from Sinai being this idea that every single word of that Torah is directly from God through, through Moshe, through Moses. And that the people get that the fullness of that message. I don't know for sure that that's not true, but in my wonderful uh, interview a few weeks ago with Professor Sam Boyd, who is a, a great scholar of the Bible, we we had this conversation, and uh, there's there's some real some real joyful depth in in seeing different ideas about how these texts came came to be. A classical kind of orthodox way to understand it, you know, we have at the beginning of uh, Pirkei Avot, the section of Mishnah that talks about the transmission of wisdom. The very first idea expressed in there is Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. Moses received the Torah from Mount Sinai, and he passed it to Joshua, and Joshua passed it to the to the elders and the elders to the prophets and the prophets to the to the men of the great assembly and we talk, it's talking about the evolution of transmission but the idea that Moshe kibel Torah Sinai that Moses received the Torah from Sinai is understood in a in a sort of classical orthodox sense to be that in that moment in that moment 
Moses received Torah Shebichtav, the written Torah, so-called, and Torah Shebaalpeh, and the oral Torah. The written Torah and the oral Torah, both of them. The written Torah is understood to be the actual five books of Moses that we call the, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the oral Torah is really giving this kind of license for every piece of rabbinic interpretation that comes in later generations through Mishnah and Talmud and Midrash and works of halakha, works of Jewish law, that it was all somehow wisdom that was received by Moses that gives authority. It gives great authority to the, the rabbis of each generation to decide that this is also Torah mi Sinai, that this is also Torah from Sinai. Most liberal Jews don't don't accept that as being historically valid and therefore binding in the same way and see much more of a kind of poetic sense of what this revelation was. Clearly it was very important. Clearly that moment is defining, as I said already, how we practice what we believe, defined from that from that moment, how we see revelation, how we see the Torah unfolding itself through history how much human involvement was there in the Torah was it a completely divine document and what did the people really experience what did the people experience in that in that moment of, of Torah there's a midrash that says that kol echad lefi kocho that everybody Everybody received what they were able to receive according to their to their own power and capacity, meaning that you know there were <laughs> thousands and thousands um, of of different Torahs that were being received because everyone received a different version. Everyone had a slightly different perspective, you know. And this idea of God coming down to the mountain and, and God and God speaking. There's a, a, a wonderful quote by the German Jewish philosopher Franz Rosenzweig in an article called Revelation and Law, where he says, Revelation is certainly not law giving, it is only this revelation. The primary content of revelation is revelation itself. He came down, the Torah says, He came down on Sinai. This already concludes the revolution. He spoke. When it says God spoke these words saying, God spoke these words saying, Franz Rosenzweig says, is already the beginning of interpretation. In other words, the Torah is describing a, an incredible moment of God coming down, but not giving us the details of what, of what was said. And Abraham Joshua Heschel, in God in Search of Man, a classic uh, book of Jewish philosophy, he says that the thunder and lightning at Sinai, that great dramatic opening to this to this section of, of narrative, the thunder and lightning at Sinai may have been merely an impression, but to have suddenly been endowed with the power of seeing the whole world struck with an overwhelming awe of God was a new sort of perception, he says. At that moment, the people of Israel not only were able to entertain a feeling, but also to share in an awe that overtook the world. Only in moments when we are able to share in the spirit of awe that fills the world 
Are we able to understand what happened to Israel at Sinai? That's the world of God. This is beautiful. That's the world of God entered the world of man. Not an ought to, an idea suspended between being and non-being, a shadow of the will, a concession of the mind, but a perpetual event, a demand of God more real than a mountain, more powerful than all thunders. Not a shadow of the will, a concession of the mind, but a perpetual event, a demand of God more real than a mountain, more powerful than all thunders. There's this idea that that, that voice of, of Sinai echoes through the cosmos, through time and space, and we tune into it in every moment. Something changed, something fundamental changed. Rabbi Sid Schwartz, a friend and, and mentor and colleague of mine, wrote this wonderful book called Judaism and Justice. And in it, he, he talks about the idea of the Exodus narrative and the Sinai narrative being so um, differently defining. The Exodus narrative, he says, when the people actually leave, it's what forms their tribal identity. And the Sinai narrative is where they become more universally attached to a call to justice and compassion in this world. That's what, for, for Rabbi Sid Schwartz anyway, that's what being in covenantal relationship is all about. They go from a people who've been enslaved to a people who are, who are freed, and that freedom gives them this really strong sense of tribal identity as the Israelite nation. And then they have this, this transformative moment at Mount Sinai, which opens them up to this universal narrative that connects them to to the whole universe. So there's so much, there's so much to say about this, this moment and this this idea of revelation, revealing, revealing Torah. And I alluded to, to this beautiful story that there's a whole group of people who are discussing what really happened. What really happened at Mount Sinai? What was revealed? What did the people experience? What did Moses reveal from God? You know, the first person says, it is every single word of the Torah as we have it today, all five books, every single word, that black fire on the white fire, the black letters on the white parchment, that is what was revealed in its entirety. And the next person says, no, 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 just, just those... These words that we read in this week's parsha in Yitro, that the, the Aseret Hadibrot, these ten utterances that we sometimes call the Ten Commandments, even though they're not really commandments in that sense, they're ten utterances, ten things that were said. And so the next person says, that's what was received, the Ten Commandments. And then the next person says, no. Not all ten of those ten commandments, just the first two. The first two that say, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, and you shall have no other gods besides me. And people think, well, if you had to pick two, I suppose those are good ones. <laughs> and then the next person says, no, 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 no. Not even the first two, just the first one. Just the first one, that statement, Anochi, I, Shem, I am God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That statement that there is this God who, 
who freed us from our bondage. And then the next person says, not even the first one of the Ten Commandments, but it's the first word, the first word of those ten, the word Anochi, I, I. And people sort of nodded in agreement that if you're going to pick one word, that's a pretty good word. And there's so much to say just about that one word. Because really the, the most common word for I is Ani. And then there's this letter Chaf that appears in the middle, Anochi, Anochi. And uh, the Meha Shaloach, the Hasidic commentator, says that the Anochi is Ani, like I, because we can't possibly even come close to an approximation of a real revelation of the fullness of God of God in this world. We can't, we don't have the capacity, we don't have the, the tools. And so it's ka'ani, God's saying it's like, it's like I'm giving you a sense of, of what I might be like, but you can't really know, you can't really know me. Anochi. <laughs> anyway, the last person says, not even the first word of the first commandment, but just the first letter of the first word, the letter Aleph. And someone else said, well, wait a minute, the letter Aleph? Isn't that a silent letter? Almost. Almost came the reply, but not quite. That Aleph is the, the breath, the breath that is taken before a real conversation can begin. That breath of anticipation that breath of expectation and possibility and potential, the breath and the silent beat that allows for relationship. And that's what Revelation was, according to that story. So here we are, the mountain quaking and smoking and that terrifyingly loud sound of the shofar waking us up, preparing us for who knows what Parshat Yitro my bar mitzvah Parsha by the way many years ago I read some of these same verses at my bar mitzvah and I do also want to acknowledge that in a Dash of Drash podcast last year on this same Parsha on Parshat Yitro I had a lovely conversation with my good friend Nigel Savage, the president and CEO of Chazon. And I want to just mention Nigel because he's just lost his father this week. I'm just really sending him our love and and wishing him a long life as he faces that, that very sad loss. So Revelation, Torah Sinai. This extraordinary concept of revelation that defines who we are and what we do and what we believe. And we're allowed, I think, to read different theories about how these texts came into being, even if we believe that they are extremely divine in their origin and their source. And if we believe that they have a binding impact on us and our lives. I believe without question that something absolutely transformative happened at Mount Sinai 
which changed the nature of reality, the nature of the world, and certainly the mission of the Jewish people forever. Thank you for listening to A Dash of Drush. We will see you next time.